0: Welcome to Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. This is the podcast where we explore the people and stories that make up the tech and venture ecosystem. Don't forget to subscribe, like, rate, and share the podcast because it really helps us get the word out to more people who are curious about understanding even more about the world of venture capital. This season of Nothing Venture is sponsored by Odin. Odin helps angels, VCs and founders to raise and deploy capital seamlessly. You can structure your SPVs and now run your funds, handle capital calls, portfolio management more smoothly and easily in one place. Founders use Odin to raise their entire round in a few clicks by simply sending investors a link and receiving investments immediately. Odin works with over 5,000 investors and over 150 emerging fund managers and angel syndicates globally. Head to joinodin.com to learn more. That's J-O-I-N-O-D-I-N. Com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arishah Today in the studio, I had with me Monique Pham and Reem Windham. Monique and Reem are founding partners alongside Tong Gu of Pact VC, an early stage VC fund backing founders who are solving key issues facing future generations. Using their ABC investment themes, they know that the best businesses ensure that commercial outcomes and social environmental goals go hand in hand. Hand. In today's episode, we talked about how unusual it is to have three women come together to found a fund, relevant diversity and cognitive diversity, building a fund at 23 and how to do it bigger and better, spending a year talking and deploying their own capital before launching their fund, and how to mix commercial and impact metrics to understand how one drives the other and ultimately drives growth. Let's get straight into it. Monique, Reem, really great to have you in the studio with me today. Um, in order for our audience to get to know you a bit better, let's go through a bit of a quick fire round. So one word answers, if you can. Uh, what was your first job?
1: Well, my first unofficial job was working at an off-license when I was 13, 14. My dad's off-license and also selling CDs at school as a kid. But my first official job was in a corporate finance house.
0: Oh, dear. Okay.
2: <laughs> first sort of official job was selling perfume on a street corner okay and other sort of first job was making cell phone jewelry uh, at, and selling that at 17 okay first real job paid was uh, in advertising sachi and sachi in new york
0: okay uh, and what did you do before you got into the tech venture ecosystem
1: I was in corporate finance, so we were working on foreign direct investment, kind of supporting international investors uh, with their investments in the UK.
2: Tech is different. I mean, VC versus yeah. other things. Yeah. I was uh, just before London, sort of 10 years ago for about five years, I was in the tech world, but based out of Abu Dhabi in the semiconductor space, okay, uh, helping to build global foundries as sort of one of the very sort of employees number four or five.
0: Amazing. Okay. And what triggered your move into founding PACT?
1: Well, um, prior to find founding PACT, I was at another early stage fund, was part of the process and building that from the ground up with the it was Solo GP fund. And, you know, it's great time building that and really learning kind of the ropes. I think both of us were kind of winging it at the time, but, um, you know, I was 23 at the time, built a fund, was managing, um, raised the managers over 20 million at the time. Yeah, and, and, and it, it was
2: a, a great time because... Monique was at that fund, slightly uh, upstream to us. You guys were pre-seed to seed. Yeah. And then you'd mentioned Tong, our third partner. Tong and I were at another fund, um, also kind of on an entrepreneurial fund journey with them as they raised their first fund. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were building up that portfolio. We also helped sort of build more of the entrepreneurial side of things, the investment process, brand, et cetera, similar to Monique um, at her fund. And, um, you know, the relationship just grew organically. Tong and I were in the same team working together, also working together with Monique sharing deals, um, yep. taking her deals to RIC, basically.
1: I always wanted to, I knew I always wanted to launch my own fund eventually. Um, and the first people I approached were Reem and Tong. Um, and we just happened to all be women. So yep. that's very clear. Like that was a coincidence, a happy coincidence. Um, they were just the smartest people I knew. And we have very complimentary skill sets. So that's yep. why we kind of got together.
0: We're going to talk a lot about that in the main podcast. Yep. And what would you be doing if you hadn't gotten into Venture?
2: I'm not sure there's anything else. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't I really know. I, don't,
1: I, w- I studied law. I didn't want to become a human rights lawyer. I realized there's no money in it. So, yeah. Well, I'm if you here. asked me when I was
2: <laughs> four or five, I wanted to be a professional gift wrapper. Okay. She's very good at wrapping uh, gifts.
0: Excellent. I, I might have to co-opt you. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about PACT. What's the thesis, stages, geographies, check size?
2: So, thesis, as you mentioned, uh, we're an early stage fund, but we are very much focused on thematic investing. Uh, we really believe in long-term secular demand. So where is sort of that mega trend demand coming from? Um, the three themes that we look at are what we call our ABCs. So it's access, betterment, and climate. Um, you know, maybe 20, even even 10 or 5 years ago, you know, people would have thought that there's a trade-off mm-hmm. between returns uh, and sort of the commercial viability of, of a company and, and those types of themes. But given... Um, you know shifts we're seeing in uh, values-based consumption uh, and work, as well as shifts in regulation. Not only is the, there a large demand, but there, it's one that's growing and, and that we're seeing. You know, will play out over a couple of generations. So it really is sort of our opportunity to kind of meld um, the values, the vision, the things that make us tick as as three partners into a fund that really is building. Um, hopefully a better future, um, as well as kind of delivering those top decile or, or best-in-class returns for our, for our LPs.
0: Got it. And check sizes, geographies?
2: Geographies, uh, you know, we really can invest anywhere, but we are focused, uh, predominantly UK, Europe. Um, and, and in those themes, you know, there's very strong ecosystems um, in, in those core geographies. Hmm.
0: Got it. Check uh,
2: sizes, you also asked, yeah. um, you know, we'll do anything from sort of 300k to one and a half.
0: Yeah. Okay, and uh, if you think about three companies inside or outside the portfolio that you're excited about, what would they be?
2: Mine, um, we just
1: invested in a company called Sidekick. It's a wealth management platform. The founders, Matt and Pete, are incredible, super experienced, kind of multiple exits under their belt. Um, Matt was also formerly a VC investor, a fintech investor. So what I'm really excited about, wealth management hasn't been innovated in ages. One of the most kind of oldest industries in finance. And now kind of as... From the younger generation is becoming, um, you know, access to more capital and, you know, and very tech savvy. There really isn't anything that's really catering to them. So what they do is very much active portfolio management as well as other products like lending and so on. So really exciting team, really exciting space and ripe for innovation. And the other one would be a company we haven't announced yet, but it's in the climate tech space. And they're, they've built <coughs> this, um, they've built uh, essentially a software tool. Uh, catering to corporates but specifically their travel mm-hmm. uh, footprint and it's like super niche um, and they do a lot of like data reporting and collection and like offsetting counting around carbon um, and you know complete bootstrapped almost in 2 million ARR no one's side of them amazing and yeah we we managed to find them early and we
2: just backed
0: them brought me out in a cold sweat when you talked about bootstrapped to 2 million ARR <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> yeah which is unusual these days yeah so. yeah, yeah.
2: yeah um, for me there's a company still early stage but again Um, It's called Simbi. Uh, The the founders are experienced. Uh, It's not their first rodeo. Uh, They're more seasoned. And out of their first business, which they built, sold, and and exited, um, sort of very deep in the healthcare space, understood uh, another um, sort of major problem uh, for their customers' customers. Um, And that's really sort of selling into the likes of um, NHS and others. So, uh, what this company is really doing is understanding sort of what's repeatable in the sales process, building out sort of use cases to be able to help scale the selling. Yeah. In um, in this case, what we love is it is in the healthcare space, and in addition to helping boost the ability for for companies to serve their their customers and clients, they're also driving better health outcomes and reduction in healthcare costs. Um, and they're the right ones to do it because they're actually coming from the industry.
0: Got it. Um, final question: Christmas pudding or mince pies?
1: Neither. Do we have to pick one of those? <laughs> <laughs> they're not the Christmas, most Christmassy people. I'd go for pudding.
2: Mm, Hard to pick. I mean, I'd go for the, the chocolate log if that's
0: on, on offer. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can definitely go for the chocolate <laughs> log. Uh, Monique, Reim, really great to have had you in the studio. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of this stuff in the main episode. Thank you so much. Monique Reem, really great to have you in the studio with me today. Uh, We covered a fair amount of stuff um, in our sort of quickfire round, but um, you're an all-female partnered fund, but you don't invest exclusively in female founders. And whilst there are funds that have been built around those sort of lines, you've purposefully not done that. Can you explain to me your thought process and why you feel that this was important to you?
2: Yeah, um yeah. So thank you for asking that question. It's interesting that that's, in my mind, even a question, because no one ever asked sort of three men why they got together to do anything. But you're right, it is unusual, I think, to have female GPs. It is probably even more unusual to have three women um, come together to found a a fund together. Um, As we kind of mentioned briefly earlier, it really was um, an organic development for us, uh, the three of us, to really raise this fund. Uh, Monique had approached me and Tong to raise a fund. Tong and I were already talking about raising a fund. Uh, The three of us had been working together already um, for sort of uh, several years uh, before we actually decided to kind of embark on the pact journey. Um, What we saw over that period working together was, one, we shared the same values. We Mm. trusted each other. um, We filled in each other's sort of blind spots. Um, You know, it's a good partnership when everybody thinks that they're marrying up and I think we all kind of had that that feeling for very Well, there's reasons. no conflict,
0: but you're actually kind of going, you know, you, you all understand each other's strengths mm-hmm. and play off those strengths rather than focusing on kind of where the gaps are, right? Absolutely. Totally. Yeah.
2: And um, I think the interesting thing is, you know, you did rightly note that we are sort of diverse, quote unquote. But the diversity really comes from, you know, what we think of as relevant diversity in our um, perspectives, our attitudes, our networks, our professional experiences. Um Yeah, Yeah. a
1: a friend of mine recently
2: kind of talked about the term cognitive diversity. I think Mm -hmm. that's really where
1: it's not about just gender. I think we've all come from different parts of the world. Mm. We've grown up and lived all over the world. But like our core principles are all very much the same and aligned.
2: Yeah. On on top of our kind of skill sets as well. And I think what's interesting is, um, you know, in addition to that sort of not just UK or pan-European network, uh, Monique touched on it. We've all sort of lived and worked in different countries. So almost a dozen different countries, but in complementary geographies. So that comes to bear. And then we've all had operator experience, which is not necessarily the norm uh, with early stage uh, venture investors in Europe. And that sort of experience um, is varied, uh, but we've all had uh, various kinds of exits under our belt um, in various spaces or, or, or sectors.
1: And frankly, um, we don't, I mean, we are in a position of luxury saying having had launched the fund, but we don't really want to talk about the fact that we're women anymore. We just want our performance and our numbers and our metrics to do the talking. And there's nothing against, I mean, funds like C and, you know, uh, other funds who they just target purely kind of female founders. It's so great for the industry. There's nothing, we have nothing against that. We really support, um, obviously, women We're three women from ethnic minority backgrounds. Naturally, we have a diverse portfolio and a pipeline and we will continue to really champion that. But we want, for example, when pitching to LPs, that's not the reason why we want them to invest in us. We also think women GPs probably have it a bit tougher and the bar is a lot higher in terms yeah. of like performance <clears throat> and delivery. So we want to just focus, like, put our heads down, invest in some the best founders, regardless of gender or ethnicity, um, but get some like results, return money mm-hmm. to LPs. So that therefore, the ecosystem is more enriched with more diverse founders and GPs who have, you know,
2: made money and returns and LPs are supportive of that so we think so on yeah. that note it is interesting well we don't necessarily have a mandate to back women founders mm. we do very much actively work with our portfolio companies to hire senior female management as they kind of that's if graduates. they don't have any already right yeah yeah, yeah. if they yeah. don't have it al- already and, and the idea there isn't about a, a gender quota mm-hmm. it's really thinking about you know going back to that idea of relevant diversity do you have the right mix of people and voices in the room because diversity does drive returns um, any way you cut it and that diversity can come from gender that diversity can come from geography um, sort of immigrant backgrounds um, you know sector specialisms so you know we where they don't have women uh, you know, in senior positions we do work with them to hire that so
1: if they have if if they hire more senior women in senior positions who have meaningful equity that's another thing we ask for (coughs) and ultimately those companies hopefully make money and generate returns we want those women to be empowered by that also make money along the way so it isn't as black and white as saying female founders or none at all like there are so many other ways of getting more diversity in women and other, other kind of genders and people involved in at a senior level and hopefully Put that back into the ecosystem eventually.
0: Yeah, I, I think th- there's there's a couple of things that come to mind just as you are speaking. I mean, like we we've, we've got, we're going to cover a bit more of this uh, further <coughs> further down the track in the podcast. But <coughs> the, the the two things that immediately sprang to mind is I, I remember very vividly a founder going out on Twitter <clears throat> and essentially throwing shade on uh, a fund that I know uh, that does back female founders and is is predominantly set up to back uh, female founders. And said, you know, the, 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 this founder was sort of like, you know, they didn't back me. They're not, they're not walking the walk. Was mm. he? Was he a man? No, <laughs> this was a, this was a, 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 woman. a, a woman, right? right? Mm. And and I found it really uncomfortable because I was like, I okay, I can understand that you will be upset that this fund didn't invest in you. I can even understand that you are maybe a little bit upset about the fact that they didn't back you, even though you are a female founder and 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 they explicitly say they want to back female founders, but equally this is venture right you're still backing businesses for the best returns and if you don't if if you don't feel that that particular founder or that particular business is going to lead to the best return then clearly and with limited capital right because you don't have you don't have an unlimited pool of capital that you can invest from mm. you're going to have to make those sort of tough decisions i actually found it really uncomfortable because I was like, you're actually doing a bit of a disservice both to them as investors and to yourself, because actually, if you're a great business, you will attract funding from someone irrespective. And the second thing that came to mind, just when you're talking about kind of hiring in, you know, ensuring that some of the portfolio companies make sure that they diversify their, their leadership in whatever way that 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 may be. One of our guests, uh, is lady, Jelaine, used to work for, for, for Microsoft, uh, and she's quite active kind of within within a number of groups. And she said she went to this talk and, and uh, the lady on stage kind of said, you can tell that no one at Apple who designed the iPhone was a woman. Why? Because no one would have made it black because you can't find it in your handbag sort of thing. This is like, you know whatever, 10 years ago. Uh, clearly, they've come up with different colors since then. But <laughs> yeah. but, but but this is the point, yeah. right? Like it's that diversity of thinking that leads yeah. to product breakthroughs that leads to. Uh, understanding your user in a different way than 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 you would otherwise necessarily have done, um, and I also think, I mean, from your perspective, yes, three women LPS, all from diverse backgrounds, all from geographically diverse experiences. Actually, I would imagine that probably leads to having a huge amount of divers, like the cognitive diversity that you're talking about, a, a, a huge diversity of thought around what good looks like and who good looks like and, and not using who in the sense of color or ethnicity or, or, or gender or anything else, but actually what are the traits that, that, that make someone really great? Would you agree with that?
2: Definitely. And I think that that sort of discrepancy or, or let's say deep discussion that we have around that is informed by the sort of variety and breadth of the experiences that we each respectively have had. Yeah. Um. So that kind of goes back to bringing in the value of diversity. Um. I think we've seen things in our experiences prior to this, um, that might buck trends, mm-hmm. which then helps us sort of spot perhaps those outliers. Um. And really, those sort of founders that are those outliers. Yeah. That others might overlook.
0: Yeah. So, kind of drawing on this theme of diversity, not like it, I always say, this is not a podcast <coughs> about diversity, and mm-hmm. and I and, and I think it's a disservice to the, to the ecosystem to only look through that lens, but equally being someone of a diverse background myself and having sort of experienced a lot of the, the casual white male about about the venture capital industry, you know, we all know the statistics around capital flowing to underrepresented individuals. And and that's just as true for LPs investing into diverse managers as it is VCs into uh, founders. So what is your opinion on, on, uh, the way that LPs should and can invest in more diverse allocators and why is it important that they do this?
2: I think we can start with perhaps why is it important that they do this? Um, you know, you you read a lot of the studies out there and even without a mandate, um, the likelihood of a diverse manager investing in a diverse founder is much higher mm. um, than, you know, the standard, yeah. in, in this case, in VC, sort of the standard white, three times higher. Yeah, yeah. So
0: three times more which, likely that a diverse GP to invest in a diverse founder
2: three times, which, which, yeah,
0: which I would completely yeah. buy into. Yeah. yeah.
2: So you know, if you want to be able to get as an LP, that the value of the diversity, right? If you you know, they say diverse founders can also bring sort of better results oftentimes. Well, I think
0: women women founders typically deliver higher returns on average it, than, exactly. than male founders. So if you yeah.
2: want to be able to get that kind of um, access to that kind of return, then your best bet, if you're not doing direct investing yourself, is then to invest in and back sort of that wave of quality, diverse uh, GP. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the reason why you would do it. I think the question about how, um, I mean... You just do it. Just do it. I'm not sure if there's a secret sauce to
1: it. I do. I do think a shout out, uh, we can't name names, but we have just secured um, a really major LP ticket from a large and very established kind of institution. Go
2: for it. Um,
1: Well, we can name name names. So we just secured a major investment from MNG, the Uh asset manager. And it's from their Catalyst Fund. And I think they've gone about it in a great way. Rather than saying, you know, we're just going to back female founders and kind of skip the allocators, they've really kind of taking a two-pronged approach and looking at the allocators <coughs> but the bar was so high um to actually get this money it took us months of dd and they refocused really on performance and they said ultimately we were one of the best uh, most experienced team as well as one of the kind of longest track record yeah. that's why they backed us and so. reference calls and mean, they references, deep on yeah, references. Yeah, they really mm-hmm. went deep so that to us i think that's a great start i think um i mentioned this the other day in terms of emerging managers i you know I think it's all positive. It's not doom and gloom. This is getting better. There are more different groups of people who are launching funds, and I think that's absolutely the right direction. Um, but I think it's always hard to get them off the ground, for example, if you don't have a network of yeah. networks and family offices, or even your personal runway to spend two years raising a fund, launching a fund. Um, so they need to more initiatives like MNG, really building, like having a very clear purpose and a very kind of high to receive this funding rather than funding for the sake of funding. Well,
0: we're right. actually, I'm going to be talking to the team behind Thema um, yes. in a, yes, in a, in a couple of weeks, to, yeah. um, you know, and it sounds like they, they very, very much have that. They are very passionate about
1: yeah. this topic. We've discussed yeah. this at length with them as well. So people like, you know, Sam and George launching yeah. Thema, absolutely, that's such like, that's the right direction. That's what needs to happen. And I think um, it needs to kind of, we need to get out this mindset of like, this old boys club and, you know, only raising money if you come from money or and so on.
0: Yep. I think I think there are the the, the other thing within this. So and this is this is the cautionary tale that I think we may be walking into. So, you know, over the last several years. Obviously, with all the capital that has been flowing, a lot of people raised funds, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of diverse allocators raised funds, right? Whether that's from ethnic backgrounds, or whether that's gender. Uh, you know, w- we've seen a lot of people raising funds and deploying now the question and the, the possible outcome. You talked about track, pr- track record and performance and, 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 and really sort of, you know, backing those allocators that can prove that they have what it takes and, and have shown that they can. I think the thing that I am worried about, hey guys, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to introduce you to our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Emerge One. Emerge One CFOs partner with VC-backed founders from C to Series B to manage and raise capital and plan how it should be deployed, controlling cash so that they can do what they do best to scale strategically. You can find them at emergeone.co.uk. That's E-M-E-R-G-E-O-N-E.co.uk. Okay, let's get back to the episode. If if worry is the right word, is that you may well now see a lot of the bets that these allocators have taken not come off because, again, they they were investing at the peak of the the market. The market has shifted quite dramatically. You know, every, everything has sort of changed quite quite significantly. And as you said, you know, it is far harder as someone from a diverse background to raise to to raise funding unless you are raising funding from someone from a diverse background. Uh, and what what I what I worry about is that there will be this. Re- almost re- regression amongst lps that they kind of look at what happened over the last few years see well we funded this you know we funded this emerging manager because they were diverse etc but actually the returns haven't been great yeah. actually we're going to go back to we're going to stick to our knitting and we're going to go back to the 40 year old white guy you know who, who's who been sat at a fund for the last 20 years and and, and that's mm-hmm. a safe bet i think that that's the bit that I hope doesn't happen, but I'm kind of sitting with the back of my head. I'm sort of like, hmm, I, I, you know, mm. I, I can see that playing out, um, you know, over the course of the next couple of years as people go to raise their sort of second, maybe third yeah. funds, right?
2: so that's an interesting point that you raised because um, that's very much sort of part of sort of that question that you asked earlier is, you know, how should they be doing this? Let's go out and do it, but you really have to be backing managers who you believe in. Yeah, You know, it really cannot be a box ticking exercise because it'll come back to bite everyone. And mm. um, the same in the applies for when investing in female in founders, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, female or diverse, right? Mm. You, you really have to back quality. You have to, you know, have, whether it's a founder, whether it's a fund, have it go through the same level of rigor um, and really understand sort of what the value of that diversity is bringing and how that's going to help them outperform. So how is that part of the superpower? Um, if it's just a box-ticking exercise, then you kind of run the risk of doing a disservice to um, um, kind of the movement um, of kind of having more sort of capital spread out amongst diverse allocators or diverse founders because it'll come back to bite everyone um, when and, and if those companies don't perform.
1: This was a major reason why we decided not to just yeah. do a female founder-only fund because we knew, for example, when SVB was going bust, didn't everyone blame the fact that the ESG policies yeah. were distracting the management Immediately. Team? Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately whenever something goes wrong diversity I D&I, esg initiatives always get the blame or it's get hap- like it's, and it's happening, happening again right now, it's happening right? right
0: now i mean yeah, elon really. musk is out there i think it happened with uh american airlines or who was the, whoever it was that yeah. had the, the recent problem right and uh the the door flying off the airplane it, the immediate thing was oh look they're now you know they they, they are part of their bonuses tied to esg or dei yeah. shouldn't it be shouldn't it just be tied to safety well actually that was like a minor component but it's been completely which
1: sadly that that was d and esu was generally seen as like a luxury or like a nice to have when things were going really really well and obviously now people are tightening their belts everyone's suddenly talking about profitability and unit really solid unit economics which is something we were always focusing on anyway (laughs) so at the end of the day we don't want to just say that like if we're if we're a badly performing fund we probably very likely for us to raise fund two and fund three. Whereas if they were, you know, I, I don't want to pick on like gender or ethnicity, but if it was, let's say three um, white guys, no shade on them, but you know, it wouldn't be as questioned and it would mm. be as difficult for them to go and raise two. As it, we're not complaining, the we, are in a, a lot higher we are in a position of luxury yeah. having launched our fund, but this why we want to ultimately kind of think of it in long term a 10 year 20 year game rather than just like the next 12 months or the next trend and so yeah.
0: on yeah yeah and and i mean tying this all together i mean the way i always think about it and this this goes back to your earlier point about making sure there are you know strong <coughs> there is strong diversity within leadership teams with equity stakes you know the way i look at it is if you have diverse if you have diverse gps founding diverse founders and hopefully those founders and or teams have meaningful exits that capital gets recycled through the yes, system into LPs and you, you broaden the base. Right. Like yep. where I would say when i mean, we're not necessarily quite at the beginning, but we're in the early stages of that happening. And here in Europe, of course, we know that those exits are less forthcoming <coughs> uh, and potentially less, uh, uh, you know, less less lucrative maybe to the to, to, to the teams that are in place. But as that continues to happen, hopefully you see that broadening. At the lp level then to the gp level and then into into yeah. founders right and i mean it it's a cycle there's a exactly. derivative effect and, yeah.
2: and you hope that you kind of set the cycle off in the right direction and it kind of positively reinforces itself rather than goes down that negative i page. also just want to mention
1: um ream talking on her behalf now but mm-hmm. in um their previous ream and Tong's previous fund they also had a fund of funds arm and ream was especially responsible for like six managing lp relationships in like six or seven of the top yeah. seed funds in uk and europe and we've still maintained a close relationship with those GPs and they've really and they're a mix of men, women, different genders and ethnicities. Um, and they're and they're veterans in what they're doing and they've really kind of lifted up the herd, shown us how things are done and really mentored and supported us. So we're thinking with that mindset, building our fund for the long term as opposed to just as I mentioned, just the trend.
0: Yeah, and, and it sounds like, you know, how do you how do you do the same thing. How do you open those doors and lift the hood for others? Right. And, and, and it's, it's, you know, I think we, we sit on a couple of WhatsApp groups together. I think one of the things that (laughs) I've loved about being on those, on, on those WhatsApp groups, especially sort of the the, the one that's sort of focused on emerging managers is that there really is no, there, there is, you know, there is no shame in asking the question. The responses are always massively helpful. Um, You know, they could be the simplest questions or the most complex, but someone somewhere on that group has been through that, has gone through the pain and is willing to share. Right. And I think that's the other thing, you know, and it's very similar to founder communities in that sense as well. You know, I, I think that that ability to kind of uh, uh, educate and help others that have, you know, that, that are coming up, that mm-hmm. haven't done this before, that maybe haven't had the experience. And you guys clearly had a huge amount of experience before you raised Pact. Um, You know, but there are others that are raising from scratch first fun, never been a VC before, but just passionate about what they're doing. Um, But it it really helps to have that kind of ecosystem that that, that's there and supporting you. Right. Because uh, I mean, having looked at it myself, it's it's not the simplest of things to do.
1: No, it's not fun. And we are very much an open book. Um, There's this kind of recently GPs are, you know, um, offering to help each other with LP introductions or so. It's, as I mentioned, it's all heading in the right direction. It's all quite positive and the ecosystem is really helpful. We always say like if any GP or people who are thinking to launch a fund want to come to us, we're happy to kind of tell them how we did things, um, you know, how to negotiate. I always make a joke about the Turk, the Arab and the Chinese. Yeah. Like we are negotiating everything. So if we can not, give, not a, to be a cliche, give any tips but. about, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's, so clearly, clearly, a jo- there's clearly a, of a bad joke in joke there, but, yes. yeah, yeah, but yeah, well, we'll yeah. save that for another time. But, yeah. you know, everything's a negotiation. <laughs> so even if it's small things like tips and advice on how to, you know, deal with service providers or who
2: worked, who yeah. didn't work, we have, you know, we are very much open for that. And a big shout out actually on that point to um, Paul Hastings, who have done yeah. our, our fund legals yeah. and set up pro bono. I mean, um, Oh, wow. So Amazing. talking about you know, negotiations, they were a great partner um, and, and sort of, you know, finding ways to kind of shortcut some of the pain. And oftentimes it's financial pain up front when you don't really know if and when you're going to raise the fund. Mm. Um, How do you kind of make things work? Um, So there's sort of practical considerations. There's also more esoteric considerations um, when you have a family as well.
0: I I mean, yes. I (laughs) I, I was just laughing because at one uh, at one point in a previous life, I I set up a business called Two Brown Boys, which was with.
1: Uh, <laughs> that also sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Yeah, <laughs>
0: we I mean, I think the whole thing was a bit of a bad joke by the time by the time we did it. But it was, yeah. I mean, like, I think I think there is, you know, we can joke about it because we're sitting here. You know, uh, we come from these backgrounds. We're able to kind of do that. the 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 reality is that, you know we all stand on the shoulders of giants kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, so at the end of the day, if we if we don't draw on each other's experience uh, and lean on others who have been there and done that beforehand, you know, we, we run the risk of making the same mistakes or, or worse uh, in the future. So I think it's wonderful that you guys do that. And, and talking about Tong, and you've talked a little bit about the origin story. So clearly, you know, Reem, you and Tong were working together before and and there were sort of upstream, downstream um, um uh, interaction with, uh, with the fund that, uh, Monique was at. Um, but how did you actually come to that decision of, of, yeah, let's raise a fund together. I mean, di- did you, did you essentially decide that the funds that you're working with were great, but actually you wanted to do your own thing or was it just such a gelling, uh, uh coming together of minds, if I can mm-hmm. put it that way, that you're like, actually it would be stupid not to do this. And what have been the most significant challenges you faced since you started, uh, started the fund back in 21?
2: That's actually a good great question. question. I think for me, it was probably both of those things. Um, I mean, Tong, I knew inside out because we were in the trenches together. Yeah. Um, and Monique, I knew, obviously through the deal flow sharing aspect of things, but also kind of through connecting over what we saw and what we thought was kind of missing in the industry. So I, I knew that there was a values alignment amongst the three of us. I knew there was sort of deep trust as well amongst the three of us and I think for Tong and I we talked about the fact that we felt that you know we were big drivers of building that first portfolio for the other fund Mm -hmm. and then we thought that there's an opportunity for us to actually kind of step up and kind of have a better piece of the economics Mm -hmm. quite frankly Mm -hmm. you know to to put it bluntly. Um, It's
0: it's one of these crazy things that uh, again I think I mentioned this before like one of my one of the biggest aha moments I had about venture was when Hussein Kanji turned around. And he goes, "The purpose of raising a fund is to make money. The purpose yeah, right? well, why the, the, else yeah. are we here? And the purpose yeah. of raising fund fund one is to be able to raise fund two and, yeah. <laughs> and make yeah. more money." Oh,
1: shout out to Hussein! By the way, he's given us so much of his time. Yeah. He he is
0: he is like the hardest working but most open guy in venture uh, that I know. But I mean, like what what it what it really kind of sparked to me was this. I think I'd always had this slight. misconception the venture was all about funding innovation and and of course it should be right but that's almost secondary to the primary focus which is okay how do you make returns both for yourselves as well as for the lps but with that said so you wanted a better piece of the economics so you decided to raise a fund and that that makes obvious sense so what
2: and and beyond that i think we also had a, a vision sort of for strategically what was missing right in the early stage landscape so Obviously, better piece of the economics, but then why us? Yeah, you know, Where's why are we different? Why are we the ones to do this? Um, and I think that we just basically sat down and talked it out.
1: Um, also, when we got into venture was twenty sixteen, so things looked a lot different back then. Um, not to sound like you know a boomer, but things did look a lot different back <laughs> then. But um,
0: you definitely don't look like a boomer. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Unfortunately,
1: um, uh, well, my point was really going to be about um, kind of thinking how can we really add value to the ecosystem, get together and build something kind of really unique. Um, even, you know, for example, when I wanted to, um, when I was thinking about leaving my former fund, um, you know, I was interviewing and I just was like, these are all the same people. Like, I am not dealing with anyone. And I'm like, oh, seriously, something is really missing here. And I was like, I built a fund at 23. Like, I'm sure if I build it with the right people, we can do it <coughs> bigger and better. And also, frankly, um, this didn't happen overnight. I think it's really important to not be misdealing, saying, like, we magically got funding and launched the fund in 12 months. I wish that was the case, but there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. No. Yeah. And we got together probably in the worst time of human history, which was March 2020. Um, and wow. then we were like, okay, WTF, what's happening? And then we spent actually most of lockdown talking daily.
2: Yeah, I was about to say. And planning. We had one face-to-face meeting. Yeah. Like and then you decided. got really sick and okay, then I, we I got, got covered then
1: Yareem yeah. got pregnant and <clears throat> then I got pregnant and then Tom got pregnant so we spent that time like especially first trimester which no one ever wants to go through yeah um, we essentially were planning for about a year, just talking on it on a daily basis, just understanding like right if we were to do it, how would it look? How, what does a the thesis look like?
2: So and, and actually making decks. Let's not forget the hours. We before. were, like <laughs> probably <laughs> like actually decks. Virtually. I think I was
1: like seeing decks in my sleep. I yeah. was like seeing like hallucinating about you know different yeah that portfolio and so on. allocate
0: that, that portfolio construction slide Gosh, is always um, <laughs> always a fun yeah. one. Yeah.
1: And I think um, and we spent a lot of time going out and doing research and speaking to these kind of GPs that already built funds.
2: Yeah, and I think also I mean not to sort of. Uh, belittle it, but even how do you present your thesis in a concise way? Yeah. I mean, ABCs super catchy, but you know, the first draft we had a super. <laughs> Can I just say that remember? was
1: the only creative thing we've ever come up with? <laughs> it was just downhill from there onwards yeah. um So I think you know it, it, we spent a lot of time really planning and. You know, frankly, a lot of first-time funds do fail because of the team's dynamic and the teams just don't work out. Like we've been really thinking and talking about this for four years and planning for it, and I think we're only getting stronger and better as a team. Mm. You know, what's quite funny is when we first set out, like I raised all of the funds and we're managing the funds for my former fund, and the team are very much, you know, we've deployed we deployed about fifty-five million prior to launch impact, kind of combined. But as we were evolving, as we were launching the fund, we were like, wait a minute! Like, I'm actually not that good at fundraising, but I'm kind of good at sourcing deals. Like, you guys are amazing at f-. so. Like, kind of the roles were changing all the time, and we were very open about it. There was no ego, and like we've evolved only to be big, like better a better team. So again, that can only happen with time. You can't really kind of do that overnight. So and I think
2: uh, that th- just to kind of mm-hmm. tease out a big theme of what you just said was communication and yeah. open communication, yeah. and because we spent the time kind of talking about things objectively without ego, we really started to understand sort of how each person thinks. And even though we had been working together, in the context of a new fund, it's a different structure. You know, the demands, the expectations, the things you have to get done are different. And so there is a realignment. And it only works if, you know, you do have an open and direct culture, which I'm really grateful to see that, you know, over time teams either like schism and fall apart or they really gel. And I think we gelled, I think you've touched on it as well, but the fact that all three of us had our first children while we were raising the fund and, and, and thinking about the fund. Um, I, I think, again, it could have been a deal breaker, but it really bonded us because we had to figure out how to do things I, differently. I,
0: I, I, Yeah, I mean, look, I think, A, the fact that you kind of were talking for 12 months before you kind of actually <coughs> launched, sure. as it were, right? Yep. That period of getting to know each other, I mean, you knew each other, but really getting deep into kind of why yeah. what, what is my what what you know so if, if you had gone into this and ream your vision was like i just want to make you know tons of money and monique you were like well actually no, i want to make an impact on the world and actually i don't really care about the return like that wouldn't have worked yeah. but making sure that you're all on the same page <clears throat> at least in terms of what the objectives are what the thesis is, like, you know, again, I want to invest in deep tech. No, I only yeah. really like consumer <laughs> businesses. That's not really going to work, sure. right? So I think that communication, as you said, is... Yeah, and let it, me
2: actually add to that, yeah. It's We didn't just talk over that period. We were doing deals. Yeah. Okay, were so investing money, at the yeah. same time. On a deal-by-deal deal basis, okay. we pulled together syndicates. Um And so it was essentially our fund zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We joke and, and laugh about it in that way, but it helped us not only talk, but kind of do that market validation. Yeah, test the thesis. Put it out yeah. there. Yeah. Is it sticking? You know, how are potential LPs, i.e. co-investors in these SPVs, you know, responding and receiving this thesis? How is the founder market responding and receiving to it? What is our value add? So it helped us kind of work through from conceptual to kind of market validation. Mm-hmm. So again, to your point, you know, advice and emerging managers, it really doesn't happen overnight. Mm. Um, and it kind of is that same journey that founders probably go on from sort of pre-seed to seed to, and we kind of think about that as fund one or fund zero first close, and now we're on our final close, right? So a lot has happened even in the last year um, to kind of mature us as a fund.
0: Let me ask you this, right? Because just as you are talking, it, it it struck me as <clears throat> as quite relevant. Like, so, you know, that co-founder fit in, in a startup is really critical, but then there's always the question, could you go out alone? Should you go out alone? So mm. do you think that the three of you fundamentally wanted to do it together or if it hadn't worked in the absence of that relationship not being there? Do you think mm. you would have gone out and done it individually?
2: I mm. think we waited for the right. I think mm. all of us had aspirations to be entrepreneurs and right. Sure. In this sense, is yeah. the entrepreneurial fun journey, right? Yeah. But I don't think any of us rushed it. It just kind of clicked because it was the right team.
0: Yeah.
2: And I don't
1: know how solo GPs do it. Like, yeah. I can't think of not having a team where, you know, we're constantly bouncing our lives off each, off each other. We've got such different, like, experiences and skills where we, it's very complementary. And, like, I really, I don't know how solo
2: GPs do it. Yeah, I mean, really I hats off. Imagine. It's yeah. not just sort of the pragmatic side of having yeah. a partnership. It's also, I think, you know, the often less spoken about emotional side of it, you know, it is a difficult thing to to kind of go and, and 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 raise and and you kind of have to take a market beating, especially this last year in this environment. Um, you know, same thing. You know, there are days on on you know the deal side. Are we seeing the best deals? You know, do we do we like the founders that we're backing? Um, the answer is yes. Um, but you know, uh, the question is, you know, <laughs> good, on, are we good seeing, answer. <laughs> yeah, but, but are we seeing sort of the right things? Yeah. Um, how do we make sure that we're you know getting stronger sort of LP GP fit, stronger GP founder fit. You have all of these sort of more existential questions. And the fact is, is we have people that we trust each other to sit down and, and work through those, which, um, you know, it's a very lonely world if you're, if you're doing it alone. I couldn't imagine. Let's it. get the violence out. Yeah.
0: Or I mean, no, <laughs> no I, look, I, 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 I've got to be, I've got to be honest. Like as someone who has, someone who's, mm-hmm. you know, founded and failed founded and hopefully seeing some say, although they're not in the tech space, but, uh venture adjacent like <clears throat> i know personally that i'm the sort of person that that not necessarily not not that i don't play well with others but the person i'm working with has to be has has to have the same values they have to be driven with with you know with, with the same purpose in mind it's really hard to find people like that right like and and you can go a lifetime without like you know if you're lucky you found it in your partner yeah. uh potentially in a in a business partner but you know as we've talked about on the podcast in the past, right? The relationship between a VC and a founder lasts longer than the average marriage, right? Yep. So imagine the relationship between GPs, right? Like well, that. Oh, we're
2: very well aware. <laughs> <laughs> I think I speak to Monique and Tong. We're I love my husband to bits, but I think I speak to them more than I speak to him.
1: And we see each other more than we see our husbands. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So what but happened to two brown boys? Arish? Yeah. Oh so man, that was a single a, only yeah, one that, brown boy. There's only
0: one brown <laughs> boy left. Yeah, no, look, it, it was a really odd one. We yeah. we had a plan of um we had a plan of of just doing stuff together. And we actually had really strong value alignment, or at least we thought we did. Uh, and this was a friend of mine who was living in Spain. We kind of coalesced over this weird thing that Alex Dunstan uh, Doug Scott and uh, Chris Totman from Notion had, had come up with sort of six, seven years ago called Linky Brains, which was basically ultimately just a bunch of people with ADHD uh, and, and slightly neurodivergent uh, kind of um, uh, personas coming together and, and, and just realizing that actually there are other quote unquote weird people out there. Right. Um, and uh, he and I, you know, we, we noodle over a bunch of stuff. We wanted to get, you know, get some stuff off the ground, but nothing really clicked. Uh, And then I think sort of just kind of as the pandemic hit, we we drifted apart and it just, it just, it, 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 we just stopped working. Um, But, but actually it taught me a lot, right. It taught me a lot about, you know, I guess that diligence about spending that time talking about spending, you know, spending the time really getting to know, we, we set up what we call the bro found, what I call the bro founders agreement, which was, you know, like a co-founders agreement, but not talking about any of the sort of like, this is what we do with equity. This is what we do with, you know, um, bad leave or good leave good It was more around, you know, what do we believe in terms of our values and so on? And I think that, you know, I think that was a really important thing. And actually it helped, make it less difficult when we kind of decided not to well we didn't really decide when we kind of drifted apart but for me i think the the ultimate realization for me as i say is like i'm very good on my own i'm probably i don't like playing second fiddle uh i i struggle with that which is why i can't i mean i i'm un, unemployable for that for that Fair reason enough. uh, uh yeah, which is which is which is <laughs> cool I'm, I'm okay with that um, but I love working with people that are passionate about what they do, and and when they are, and I see strong alignment, and, and I'm working, you know, with someone potentially over the next, uh, well, into the future, uh, over kind of an expansion of what we're doing in emerge one. It is very much because we have strong alignment of our values, what we're in it for, uh, w- w- what we both want to make out of it. Like, what is the what is our goal financially? All of these things are really important. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think you learn, well, I certainly do learn from all the things that have gone wrong in the past and, and take those lessons rather than just assuming that, you know, they were failures. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to go through the hard yards in order to be able to, to, to do the right thing. Like, you know, everything is an over overnight success after 10 years, right? Like that, right. that yeah. that's the reality. Yeah. And, and I mean, I write about this sort of stuff a lot, you know, on LinkedIn and elsewhere, it's kind of crazy when you see people coming out on social media saying, you know, founders do that. I I wrote this today. I'm not going to say who it was specifically about, but founders do this, you know, one line, pithy piece of advice, do only this one thing, really spurious kind of uh, understanding or or background as as to why like they have any, any platform to say this about. And then like a, you know, a stinger to get, get people kind of wrapped up. And actually when I'm looking, I'm like, you know, Everything is nuanced. Like life is nuance. You can't tell. You know. You can't say to all founders track this one metric because that one metric may not make sense for their business. And the same goes for co-founding, right? Like every co-founder's journey is is different. It has a different flavor to it. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that you guys. I guess you know you tried before you buy. Well, you, you tried before you buy. Tried before you bought in the sense that you were able, you had worked together, you had worked on deals together. So you kind of had an appreciation of each other before you came into it. And it's where I get a little bit concerned about, you know, platforms like entrepreneurs first, et cetera, because that's a very short period of time to get to know someone and and decide to build a business that is going to be 10, 15, 20 years, you know, in the making, um, because you just don't get that chance to really explore each other. Um, That was a, massive tangential. No, it's interesting. Um, but um, you know, you talked about your thesis as well, right? So you invest under this ABC thesis, access, betterment and climate. And you're both vocal, you're all vocal about the need for positive commercial as well as wider stakeholder returns. This is a conversation I've definitely had on this podcast before. And I would definitely say that having worked with impact businesses in the past myself, I always do wonder whether founders ultimately end up making uh, some sort of a sacrifice, either sacrificing uh, r- financial returns or stakeholder shareholder returns or they're sacrificing stakeholder returns. So how do you think about stakeholder impact and why, other than just because it really is, did you dis- uh, decide that this was important to the way that you wanted to deploy?
2: So the way we think about impact is probably both in a traditional way, but then we add our own sort of layer on top of that. So typically when sort of impact investors look at impact metrics. They sit down with a founder and they look through sort of the who, the what, the how much, the kind of contribution, what would happen if, if that business didn't exist. Yeah. Um, we do do that with our founders at sort of throughout our diligence, but really at point of investment, we kind of sit down and actually sort of crystallize what those are. But then we kind of run it through another filter, which is sitting down and really understanding what the right kind of target growth metrics are for that business commercially. And then we sit down and look at the sort of two, three, four impact metrics that we might have come up with with the founder and understand which of those are actually going to help drive their growth commercially. So that it's looking at it in terms of um, sort of a collaborative set of metrics or targets rather than ones that are at odds with each other. And um, for example, one company that we recently did, I think it was announced over the summer, um, is an insurtech company out of Germany. Uh, and sort of the impact metric that we ended up landing on is the number of um, SMEs <clears throat> that they backed, or solar printers that they backed, um, right-sizing their insurance that would have otherwise have had existential damage or existential um, claims to their business, right? Yep. So if you are uninsured, or even worse, where you think you have insurance, and, you know, the bad thing happens, you know, God forbid the fire happens or the flood happens or fill in the
0: blank. Yeah, been there. And yep. it
2: turns out that you don't have enough coverage, your business goes under. Yep. Um, so that can kill sort of um, the the lifeblood of, of, you know, an economy, especially when you think about sort of SMEs as driving sort of... And most
0: SMEs don't have business interruption. They don't understand how to plan in case yeah. of that failure. Insurance is, you know, a nice to have often, like in some way, oh, it's never yeah. going to happen. And, and then it does. And,
2: and it was this wonderful light bulb moment when we were working with the founders, you know, uh, through this process where they kind of retrospectively looked at all of the people that they'd insured and then they kind of ran the numbers and they looked at it and they realized that 25% of the people, I think it was 20, 25% of the people that they had insured through through their platform are likely to have had some sort of existential event come up in their business going wow. forward. So just thinking about sort of the number of entrepreneurs that they're sort of saving, quote unquote, um, through, through their platform. Also gives them, even though that was a goal of theirs, putting it into numbers and helping them target that number makes them put more heart in their business. Yeah, so
0: it's it's a leading metric that they can then use to drive the business further, right? Like if if we know that we have impacted a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million SMEs, like that puts actual yes, obviously it drives commercial, but it but it 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 puts meaning behind what they're doing.
2: Exactly, and and that kind of a metric isn't going to be at odds with their commercial growth. With their commercial growth, yeah. I just yeah. one thing I'd add to that is um our thesis
1: isn't kind of obviously kind of purpose driven, obvious, but I think more importantly it's always down to like the founders, <coughs> the yeah. founders' mission and their values. For example, we invested in Sidekick and you wouldn't think wealth tech, that's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of like an impact driven business. However, if you get to know Matt and the team, their aim is to essentially make this kind of service that's been around for hundreds of years but only accessible by the one percent make it available to everyone yeah, it's There's inclusion the Yeah, the inclusion and you know they do it with informative and educational pieces around um getting women to invest more for example um and you know uh you know they've done around an event around kind of um targeting kind of the 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 black community and saying you know this actually is really easy to invest in Um, you know you are eligible because of xyz reasons so i think it sounds like what does the founder actually want for example if matt only wanted to build a wealth tech business and just be like I don't give a you know a damn who I serve.
0: You can swear by the way; it's fine. I don't <laughs> give a shit who I serve.
1: I am going to just go out and build this massive billion. You build like,
0: Robin Hood, yeah. Essentially, you yeah. build yeah.
1: Robin Hood or, or free trade? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, they're doing extremely well, but they're not the people we want to back. They're not really kind of the legacies we want to kind of support. And
2: there's probably a market for both. Completely. Um, yeah. but at the end of the day, there is a large enough market for this too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Completely. I think I think I mean we we talk a lot and we have had Egosi Omigwe on the on the podcast in the past, and he talked about. You know, he didn't like talking about underrepresented markets, but what he loved talking about was underserved markets. Underserved, 100%. and I think that, uh, like, you know, w- when you talk about that, you know, the, the, a wealth platform like um, like Sidekick, that's exactly what I think of, right? Because underserved doesn't have to reduce everything down to gender or to ethnicity or mm-hmm. whatever. So, in fact, it, it goes to talked about, you know, business a, a founder that you've been talking to, uh, a white guy in the U.S. sitting in the Midwest or somewhere, um, and had built some really interesting thing in the life sciences space and it goes to said well why don't you think about sickle cell right disease and and this founder was like oh this is like a massive problem I hadn't thought of it and started going about solving it how how that may have happened but the point is this underserved market of essentially black people right typically from nigerian and, and and west africa uh,
2: and middle easterners uh,
0: and, oh, and middle yeah. Easters, was not aware of that But also not just in those areas, Mm. possibly in, you know, the heartlands of the US or in the UK or Europe or whatever. You know, that market is is underserved, but is being served by someone who wouldn't be considered a diverse founder. Uh, and, And this goes back to kind of the top of the show where you talked about, you know, investing in everyone, because ultimately you can breed diversity through that. You know, for me, that's really important. I think I think that point that you can. You can have an impact on underserved markets without only having to go down the route of investing in "quote unquote" diverse founders, right? Yeah. Um, this was an absolutely incredible conversation. I'm pretty sure we could have gone on for much, much longer, but I think we're gonna have to cut it, cut it short there. Um, Reem, Monique, it's been absolutely wonderful having you in the studio with me. For our audience, where's the best place for them to find you online? You're on LinkedIn, Twitter. Where can they find you? LinkedIn on the is internet? a great
2: spot for. Or
0: WhatsApp, if you have our numbers. Yeah. I won't share that in the show <laughs> no, notes, <joking>. but... Uh,
1: <laughs> thank you so much for having us, Irish.
0: No, it's been absolutely wonderful having you both here. Thank Next you so much.
2: Next time, we'll turn the tables and, and
0: put you in the hot seats. <laughs> I, I'm ready, willing, and able. Um, thank you so much. Thank you.